Hello, everyone, and welcome to the ICS Pulse Podcast, special edition. That's right, this one's special. I can't imagine how lucky you must feel to be listening to this very special edition. October Cybersecurity Awareness Month. So we're going to be doing a series of podcasts, bringing back some of your favorite alums from our first year of podcasting. We've hit a year. Uh, if you're familiar with the Proust questionnaire and Vanity Fair, it's going to be a little bit like that. We're going to ask five quick questions. This will be dealing with cybersecurity, which admittedly the Proust questionnaire does not. Uh, we'll be dropping two of these pod, two or three of these podcasts every week. So keep watching out for new episodes. They're going to be coming fast and furious. Um, all right. With that, let's jump into it. I'm your host, Gary Cohen. Today, we're bringing back good friend of the site, Thomas Pace of NetRise. Thomas is a co-founder of CEO, a co-founder and CEO of NetRise. Prior to founding NetRise, he spent 16 years working in security across multiple roles and disciplines, from serving in the United States Marine Corps to being responsible for ICS security within the Department of Energy, to most recently serving as Global Vice President of Silence. Tom, thanks so much for being back with us. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me, man. Looking forward yeah. to it. Yeah, we're always happy to talk to you. Uh, let's jump into it here. So Cybersecurity Awareness Month generally highlights some key behaviors like multi-factor authentication, strong passwords, phishing, recognizing phishing. What do you think people should be focusing on this month? Yeah, I mean, I think those are those are always good uh, elements. Um, you know, y'all. I, I think what's important for something like Cyber Security Awareness Month is, you know, oftentimes you're kind of catering to the lowest common denominator, for better or worse. Um, you know, it's not like very rarely is Cyber Security Awareness Month. You know, saying something like. Um, you know, here are the things you must do to reduce the likelihood of being, uh, of having lateral movement occur from a nation state threat actor in your enterprise environment, right? That's like not what we're talking about. Um, so one of the elements that's become much more um, uh, front and center has been a lot of what's happening around these like supply chain attacks, which is really interesting. Um, China has been responsible for a number of things that have happened recently. Um, now, the problem here, once again, though, to kind of like, frankly, play devil's advocate to the comment I'm giving is that's not a thing that every user can necessarily play a role in. Um, but if we're talking about from like a corporation and enterprise perspective, what you see happening is companies or rather attackers moving away from targeting traditional things as phishing and spam email and like spam protections have gotten just like really, really good. It's not to say that phishing isn't still a big problem. Of course it is. It will be forever. Um, but you see that attackers are beginning to kind of pivot into, you know, different areas for them to kind of penetrate organizations. Uh, essentially, the attackers are shifting left also. Um, and so additional observability there, I think, is important. Um, you know, things like MFA are just like absolute requirements at this point um, and using application-based multi-factor authentication, not using text messaging whenever as, as, as often as that's possible, things like that. And, and, and really there's so many like very easy and free solutions for these things that there's just like no excuse um, at this point. So it's a very long answer to a very simple question. <laughs> Good answer though. We covered the ground. As I told uh, All right. So what trends or developments in cybersecurity are you particularly excited about or interested in heading into 2024? Yeah, I mean, you know, the the supply chain stuff is interesting. Um, the enhanced, um, you know, I really like a lot of what's ha happening from a federal government perspective, especially around like CISA. Um, now, I'm not necessarily a big like regulation guy, 
which I know maybe some people would be like, well, wouldn't you want regulation? Wouldn't that be like a benefit to like your business? And like, in some respects, absolutely. In other respects, it's just like, that's not the reason you want to be successful kind of, um, right? Like, sure, we'll close some deals and all that. But um, more more kind of specifically, like the secure by design initiatives coming out of CISA and some of those things that are really kind of going to drive uh, in, in a positive direction, this idea that, that we can't, we have to go back and set some line in the sand around where like the requirements are going to change and we're going to adhere to these requirements and things are going to now meet this new baseline. Whatever a thing is, whatever the baseline is, whatever the time frame is, are all TBD, right? Um, but, you know, like I, we used to say in the Marine Corps, slow is smooth and smooth is fast. So um, got to take one step before you can take the next one. So I'm excited to see how that all pans out. And we have great relationships um, with these organizations as well. So we're taking an active role as much as we possibly can. But uh, I'm typically not a big fan of public-private relationships, frankly. But, um, you know, I, I think CISA uh, has done a really phenomenal job and in just a number of ways. So that's like a breath of fresh air in many, in many positive ways, in my opinion. Yeah, I'm not going to lie to you. When I asked you that question, the last thing I expected you to say is, I'm pretty happy with some of the government actions that are happening right now. Yeah, I mean, me too, Frank. <laughs> yeah. You know, if you would have asked me that, um, you know, 18 months ago or something, two years ago, I don't, I don't know that that would have been my, I, I, that would have been an inconceivable answer for me. Yeah. Um, but having the relationship I've, I've I've been fortunate enough to to have with a number of the people at some of these organizations, like they are, they're doing it and they're doing it for the right reasons. And they're getting, you know, here's, here's, here's what's fascinating about some of this. Whenever you encounter a significant amount of friction, like that is a good sign. In my opinion, that means you're down the right road. If it was easy, it would have just been solved. It would have been addressed. It would have been, you know, something would have happened already to address a particular problem or scenario or whatever it is. But as you, even with data, begin pushing down a particular road and you are just assaulted with objectives or uh, objections and lobbying groups, and this is going to be hard and this is going to be expensive and this is going to take too long. Like, aren't those the exact problems um, we should be solving as an industry? And aren't those the exact problems the federal government should be caring about solving on behalf of the American taxpayer? And of course, these are rhetorical questions. The answer to both of them is yes. So why I'm excited is like, I'm finally like, you're you're seeing the right people, the right strategy, all kind of coming together here. Um, and so that's, uh, you know, that lends itself for me to have a optimistic attitude towards what's happening. Absolutely. All right. Going back in the memory banks here, can you share a memorable experience, something that sticks in your mind or a case from your career that highlights the importance of cybersecurity? Oh, geez. Something that did surprise you, something that we've heard some stories on this podcast so far. I mean, I used to do incident response for a decade. So, um, <laughs> I've got a couple. I mean, I, I guess maybe here's a couple. There's a few elements in this story that I think are probably worth mentioning. I was working on a business email compromise case um, with a decent size, like maybe a medium sized financial institution. Hmm. And as was the case back then, you know, they didn't have multi factor authentication turned on for the people involved. 
Now notice I say for the people involved, because as we started going down this road, like, you know, you have like a questionnaire at the beginning. It's like, do you guys have MFA turned on? Like, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, oh yeah, we're good. And I was like, heard this before. Um, so as we got into the case, what we figured out was, yeah, it was a policy that MFA had to be enabled for everybody, but who was it not enabled for? Two C-level people who just so happened to be the only people who could approve like wires. And so the very people that were were kind of the target of this um, attack were the very people that were incapable of kind of preventing it because they were special, right? I am an executive and I, I'm i so smart that I don't need multi-factor authentication. Nothing um, bad could happen to me. I'm important and powerful. That's right. That's right. And the attackers definitely take that into account. Um, you know, they say, wait a minute, is he the CFO? Okay, let's not go after him because he's important, right? And it's just like, it's such a insane mentality. Um, and, and uh, you know, and I, I take that, stance here like at at netrise right like the amount of things i have access to is so funny like from a limited perspective like i don't want access to our source code for what let me tell everyone a secret if i'm writing a source code at netrise things aren't going good um you know what i mean like i do not need access to these things um so i think that there's like really two stories there right number one mfa is for everyone number two it's especially, you, you don't, you actually approach it the other way. You don't say, give it to everyone except the executives. You start with the executives and now you have the buy-in from on high. And now you have a, you can push it down and say, guys, I'm doing this. What, what makes you think you shouldn't have to do it? And that's just what a leader is also at the same time. Um, so to me, there was just like, there's a number of elements there that I think are worth, you know, spending some time from a lessons learned perspective. Yeah, makes perfect sense. Yeah, it's a, it's such a logical thing too. Like, obviously, the people, the most important people with the most sensitive information, probably should be taking some precautions. Crown jewels assessment, right? Like, who, yeah. who, what, and where are the people, things, and data that matter the most to this organization? And if you, as the CEO, are determined to not be one of those things, maybe that shouldn't be the job for you. Um, <laughs> All right. So well, there've been a bunch of major headline grabbing cyber attacks in the last few years, whether it's SolarWinds or JBS or the city of Atlanta or Dallas or whichever. Yeah. What have we learned from this most recent slate of major attacks? Well, I mean, all of the attacks you just laid out are either significant supply chain attacks or ransomware attacks. Um, I think there's two lessons to learn here. Number one, attackers are obviously financially incentivized um you know you really have two different motives here that you're talking about you have uh in the case of solar winds right i mean just massive espionage frankly in 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 many ways um which can lead to intellectual property disclosures and all, the, all this other fun stuff um and from a ransomware perspective you have this just kind of really misaligned set of incentives um, from a from a monetary perspective. And this is like, I have a pretty strong opinion on cyber insurance, frankly, that I think it has been one of the worst things that ever happened to cybersecurity because you've basically given attackers a guaranteed paycheck in many ways. 
um, where a lot of organizations like would not or could not make the payments, you almost feel like the market, I can't, you can't know this, right? And maybe someone has data out there that just totally proves that I'm an idiot, which is probably not that difficult to prove. Um, and, and can show like, oh no, this did make like a meaningful impact. That's just not been my experience. Um, the attackers feel a lot worse. And I know this sounds like a crazy statement if they know they're not getting money from an insurance company. It's a very, it's just a totally different psychological impact on everybody, right? If you're the end user, you're like, eh, the insurance company is going to pay for it, right? You know, it's just like, it just creates this set of circumstances that are just not positive um, in, 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 in my opinion. It had some other downstream effects too around like incident response and lowering the rates for everybody. And now you have people who were making $500 an hour on incident response engagements, making $200 an hour. And you expect them to still do the same level of work and give up nights and weekends and holidays and all of that. And that people are just like, how about no? Um, and so now you have a group of people doing that work that are willing to take that much money. And we can just infer what that means on our own. Um, you know, so like, I mean, I was one of those people. I was like, I'm not going to keep doing this work. Like, why would I? Right. Yeah. I'm going to go do something else. So uh, the I, I think the thing to learn really is that the attacker is always evolving. Um, things are always changing. Um, you know, obviously the, the method of infection vector has pretty much stayed the same forever. Uh, you know, removable media through the website, through a website, through email, like those are the three most common attack vectors, right? Um, now that being said, as the defenses for those things have gone up, the level of effort for attackers has also had to go up. And so what that has indicated is, okay, we have, what are, what are other attack vectors we can go after. And that's what I think points people towards like the solar winds of the world and finding what is a common element of the organizations that I wish to compromise. And once that is determined, let's go compromise that instead because we compromise once, infect many. And that's just a much more, um, you know, attractive set of circumstances for obvious reasons. Definitely. Interesting, though, but the point you just made about insurance, I hadn't thought about it that way. But I mean, insurance is insurance for the attacker as well. That makes perfect sense. Like, if I know you're insured. I know I'm getting my money. So why wouldn't I go after you? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And it's like I, we can't like I'm sure somebody could model this somehow, but uh -huh. it'd be really interesting to see if cyber insurance like just didn't come to be. Right. And we could somehow model it saying like, I don't know. I mean, you, these are all make up numbers like 80 percent of all ransoms ransomware attacks that happened were just unable to be paid for one, one reason or another, mm. would we be where we are? Uh, it, it's hard to imagine you would be, right? But maybe we would. Uh, I, I just don't know. But yeah. to me, the incentives that that has created have just been not positive. Right. Uh, and it's, now you look at all the talk that's going on from insurance companies just in general with all the natural disasters happening across the country at the same time and reinsurance costs and all that, um, you know, yeah. it's interesting. Yeah. All right. So what, what emerging technologies, <clears throat> whether it's AI or ML or quantum or whatever it is, do you see impacting the field of cybersecurity in the near future? Yeah. I mean, I, I think obviously everybody is all fired up about AI and ML, um, which is like, it's just like a funny thing to me, I guess. Uh, like this idea that this is like a new phenomenon um, 
is just, I don't get it. Uh, you know, it's really, it's not even like an AI and ML phenomenon as much as it is like a large language model phenomenon. Um, right. I mean, I was at silence like almost 10 years ago who used AI and ML to do like antivirus. There were other companies before that doing like large scale data analytics. Like, I mean, this is just not, um, now things have obviously, um, kind of matured in a way that I don't think really anybody was ready for from a large language model perspective. Um, we like, we're using large language models at NetRise for uh, a handful of things, which are, yeah, I mean, you can realize really fast. Wow. This would have been magnificently difficult to develop and create without a large language model that you can feed all of this input and get out results that are magnificently accurate. Um, so I think that's a big one. I think the finding, having the ability to find and like make decisions is going to be incredibly automated in probably the not too distant future. Like this idea that we need like tier one SOC analysts for much longer seems unlikely. Um, there's always going to be a need for humans in this space. Like that, that goes without saying, um, I mean, probably in my lifetime, at least maybe not if a robot can take my job, man, please do like have fun at the board meetings. Um, you know, but, uh, I, I think, I think that's a big one. The quantum stuff, you know, I haven't paid a ton of attention to it. I do find it fascinating and interesting, but more from just like a, a physics perspective more than like a computing perspective, right? You did see that like NIST recently, I think, announced a handful of quantum uh, cryptography resilient algorithms um, that are being pushed out. Yeah. Uh, I just find that to be like a difficult thing to even prove, right? I mean, like, yeah. it's not like when we were doing this for AES 256, like we could like test it like real easy. How hard is this? Um, and once again, I'm, I'm speaking out in, about a thing I don't know enough about, but like everyone doesn't have a quantum computer of that, I'm sure. Um, of that, I am fairly certain. Uh, and obviously NIST probably does, like whoever does, I mean, there's how many even are there? Um, so that's all like pretty interesting and all of that. Um, because when that does, when that becomes a thing that everyone does have to care about, just no one's going to be ready for it. Like no one. So yeah, it'll be, it'll be fun. Yeah. I'm going to ask you one dumb question to end this podcast. So we debate all the time, cybersecurity, movies, TV shows. If you're a doctor and you're watching Grey's Anatomy, half the time you're like, what is this garbage? What is your favorite movie or TV show that has something to do with cybersecurity? I'm trying, you know, what's actually, what was the show on USA that everybody loved? Mr. Robot. Mr. Robot. Yeah. I like, couldn't get into that show for some reason. And I don't <laughs> know why it like, doesn't even make sense that I wasn't into it, but I just couldn't like, yeah, I don't know. It just like went off the rails, like too much for me at one point. Um, I guess this, this is what I would say. I, I love the movie. And this is before I was like in the Marine Corps still. So I wasn't, you know, uh, didn't know even 0.1% of what I know now. Uh, but like, I like loved the movie, The Net. Um, I loved it. And which is just like a funny thing to say now. Um, I remember yeah. that one. Yep. Was it I've Sandra Bull? Was it Sandra yeah. Bull? Yeah. 
And I love Sandra Bullock. So who doesn't love Sandra Bullock? What are we talking about here? <laughs> yeah. yeah. If Sandra Bullock can't save you, who can? That's that's nope. my that's nobody. My no one. Yeah. You're done. So I'm with you. It's not a better way to end a podcast. Is <laughs> if Sandra Bullock can't save you, who can't? So you're welcome. And I don't know that there is a better way to end the podcast than our shared love of Sandra Bullock. <laughs> Hope you see this, Sandra. Uh, yeah, well, maybe she'll listen to this and call us both. All right, Tom, you're, you're awesome, man. It's always fun talking to you. Thank you so much for joining us again. No problem, man. Happy to do it. And make sure you're tuning in all month as we release more episodes from this Cybersecurity Awareness Month podcast. Uh, and don't forget to use the hashtag BeCybersmart, hashtag BeCybersmart on social media this month. We've also got all kinds of Awareness Month content we'll be releasing on the site, icspulse.com. Thanks for listening. Until next time, stay safe out there.